Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together, for what you will teach us, for how we can have a more balanced life, how we can understand how you created us, Lord, and that we can live within that, that means, that rhythm, that boundary, Lord. So we come to you in this time and we give you thanks and praise in the name of Christ. Amen. So we're in our third week of our series called Making Room for Life. The first week we talked about having a Sabbath rest, that time when we rest in the Lord, that time when we take away from our, our labor, our toil, our work, and we give ourselves that opportunity to rest. And then last week we talked about how to overcome our stress, how to take away our stress. We talked about how the relationships we have, having other people in our lives help us in our stressful times. And that when we don't work so much, when we have times other than just work, then we can alleviate stress. And when we don't have so much busyness in our life, then we can relieve our stress. And so this week, we're going to talk about having rhythm in our lives. We're going to talk about how we need to set boundaries in our life. Many of you might not know that uh, Tammy got a full golf scholarship to SMU, very fine golfer, and after college, she became a professional golfer. Now, unfortunately, she didn't make it to the LPGA, but she did play several years on the mini tour. And when she was playing at her best, believe it or not, she could outdrive me. Meaning that from the tee, when you first tee off, she could hit the ball farther than I could. Even though I'm bigger and stronger, way more, she could hit the ball farther than I could. Now, this goes against what many, probably men, think, right? The harder you swing, the farther the ball goes, right? Now, any man that's played golf for any length of time knows that that's not true. Now, every once in a while, you might get lucky when you swing hard and hit the ball far. But wouldn't it be better to swing the right way and, and play better more consistently? Because golf is a game of rhythm and timing, not necessarily of strength. Rhythm and timing. And so you have to understand your swing and you have to set boundaries on your swing to say, this is what I can do and this is what I can't do. And sometimes, again, probably men, we're out on the golf course, right? And we see some man hitting it far and we're like, oh, I want to do that. And so we try to follow the example of that other person, right? And then what do we do? There's the ball right there. Right? So even more so, in our lives, we need to set boundaries. So many people think if I increase the speed in my life, if I cram more into my life, then I'll have a more fulfilling life, right? But that's not true. That's not how God has designed things. It's not about cramming things in your life. It's not going at full speed all the time. And so this morning, we're going to talk about setting boundaries and I think three areas that oftentimes we don't have good boundaries and that is work, relationships, and sleep. So, from the beginning of time, we think about God designing the world, right? And from the very beginning, God designed for work to be good. See, we're going to talk about those three things. 
Genesis 1.26, God's told us that he designed us to have dominion over creation. We were to govern creation. We were to work and we were to, to make sure that everything in our world functioned well and, and lasted long, right? Because it was designed to care for us, to provide for us, right? And so God wanted us to work the land and God wanted us, our work to be good. And then Ecclesiastes 5.19, God gave us work to do and it talks about, the author of Ecclesiastes says, we should enjoy work as a gift from God. Now, unfortunately in our society, so often people don't look at work as a gift. They don't look at work as something to be enjoyed, right? How did your week go? Oh my gosh, I had to work all week and it was so tiring and so exhausting and it was, oh, I just don't like my work and I don't like, right? How often do we complain about our work? We don't say, oh, I am so grateful for my job and God has given me this work and I am so glad for this gift he has given me. See, our society has gotten out of balance. And because, of we, because we've gotten out of balance and we work so much, work does not be seen as a gift or something that we are to enjoy. Right? Remember, we talked about how God said, work six days, and then on the seventh, take a rest. Take a rest from your toil. Take a rest from your work. Take a rest from that which you do. There's a little poem saying, Sitting still and wishing makes no person great. The good Lord sends the fishing, but you must dig the bait. The Bible talks about how we're not to be lazy. It is unacceptable to be lazy. Abraham Lincoln once said, Things may come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. So, we get to Ecclesiastes 4, 6, and it says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. So you think about, you have two hands, and think of in one hand is your work, okay? So in your work, you hold it in one hand, and then you have this other hand empty, and what is that other hand for? The other hand is for relationships and for rest and for sleep. And so we are to be balanced, maybe 50%, maybe 12 hours of our day is for work and the, and the chores that we need to do, the things that we need to accomplish. And then the other 12 hours are for relationships and for sleep. And they should be balanced. There should be a balance in our life in that way. So you may have relationships at work, but those relationships at work don't count for your relationships, your, your relationship time that God desires for you to have each day, right? You need to have time outside of work, whether it's family or friends, maybe even work friends, but outside of that time of work where you're spending time enjoying one another. How wonderful is it when you go out with someone and you just sit there and maybe have a meal or, or a cup of coffee, and you just relax, and you just talk and enjoy their company. God has designed us to be in relationship but unfortunately, we get out of balance with work, 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 work. Experts who study people who suffer from physical and emotional disorders suggest that one of the main sources for their struggles is lack of meaningful, personal, as opposed to professional, relationships and support. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Solomon tells us the story of a wealthy man who is isolated and alone. He has many possessions, but he can't seem to find peace 
in his life. And he cries out, this too is meaningless, as he's talking about work. This too is meaningless, a miserable business. See, he's gone past that place where he sees work as a gift, where he sees work as a blessing, where he sees work as something that is good, and it becomes meaningless because he has poured so much of his effort and energy into his work. And he's become unbalanced. It is common in America for work to not be properly balanced. The statistics show that uh, people who do work oftentimes don't work too hard, right? Maybe if some of you are supervisors, you look at your others around you and you're like, hmm, my, my employees don't always work hard. They don't always work well. They don't always do what they're supposed to do. They're not always efficient. But people don't work within the boundaries that God has created them. This is especially true for those who are successful, highly driven, type A personalities, right? And we see others pushing themselves and pushing themselves and trying to gain all these possessions, right? And then we somehow get pulled into that and we say, I want that. And so we start to do that more and more and more. I want more from our family. I want more things. I want more of this. And we start pushing ourselves. And what do I need? I need to work more because I need to work, make more money so I can get all these things, right? And we push ourselves and we push ourselves and we push ourselves so that we can gain status and and money and possessions and all the toys we want, right? Our world is full of toys, isn't it? Always coming out with new things that we want. It's so tempting. The truth is, when we start to get a little bit more money and get a few more toys, it starts to become addictive. I remember when my father passed away and I got an inheritance. It wasn't a large inheritance, just a, a... somewhat small inheritance, but it was a good chunk of money. And I remember that, that thought, like, what can I buy? Maybe I could buy a really nice car, right? That Lexus I always wanted, right? I can buy that Lexus. And that was kind of my first thought. And then I said, oh, but I have to tithe on that. So I'm like, wow, that's a large money to tithe on, though. Can I tithe that much money? And then I had to take a step back and think, wait a minute, that wasn't even my money. It was just a gift, and now I have it extra? Why am I so... Tied into what I can do with this money. And ultimately, you know, Tammy spoke in my ear. And we set aside the money for the kids' college. <laughs> right? We were practical with it, right? And I did tithe on it. Yes, I did tithe on it. But it's amazing when you get more and more and more, the more you get, the more you want. And the only way you can really use money is spend it. And the more you spend it, the more addictive it becomes. And you want more and more and more, and then you want to make more so you can spend more, and it becomes a cycle that's hard to break. And we want to work more and more and more so we can get more and more money. Ecclesiastes 4, 4, and 6, 1, and 2. Read the yellow with me. 4, 4 says, And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And Ecclesiastes 6, 1 and 2 says, I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. The book of Ecclesiastes is great because constantly... Um, Solomon is, you know, Solomon had so much wealth, right? He had so many possessions and wealth and all these things. And he finally got to this place where he realized 
This is meaningless. All these things I have, all these things I'm striving after, it's all meaningless if I don't have balance, if I don't have perspective, if I don't have God in my life, if I'm not using it for the enjoyment of others and, and for the glory of God. And he finally came to this realization that it's all meaningless if I have the wrong purpose. Now, don't think that work can be confined just to the office or just to your job as you define it, right? You get home and there's chores to do around the house, right? There's things to do with the kids or the grandkids. There's activities, right? I remember when I was coaching Tyler's uh, baseball team or Tiffany's softball team. And so you know, you're going in so many ways. There's always something to do in the home. There's always something to do with your kids. There's always something to do, right? And it's so easy for us to get into this cycle of do, 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 do. The average family includes running around town in the car for a variety of reasons, right? Grocery shopping, church activities, sports practices, eating out. Not only is running around eaten into serious family time, but it has also extended our work and activity time beyond the cycle that God has designed for us each day. Now, you might answer, well, I don't see any negative effects happening in my life because of this. But what's happening is that it slowly begins to affect your life. It slowly begins to affect your relationship with God. It slowly begins to affect your relationship with your family. And it brings about unhappiness and unhealthiness and maybe a little disgruntledness. Right? Maybe it makes you not enjoy your job. And so it just slowly, it's kind of an insidious thing where it just slowly begins to seep into your life and affect the areas of your life. And this lifestyle that we live that seems so natural and commonplace is actually not natural. It's not commonplace. It's not what God desires for us. So we need to make sure that we have this balance, right? 50% of work and then the other 50% relationships and sleep. So we turn to relationships next. Not only is our life oftentimes, our work oftentimes unbalanced, but oftentimes our relationships are imbalanced as well. We don't get enough quality time with a close group knit of people, a close-knit group of people. We need to have that connection. we talked about last week about having that connection requirement that God designed for us, that God created us to have that connection in our lives. Now, one of the reasons our relationship quota is not met is just what I talked about, that we're tied to our work, Right? And even how often do we even bring work home with us and say, well, at least I'm home, but we're still doing work. And we don't break away from that. We're so tied in to that. So important was the family time for the Hebrew family of old that they actually started their day in the evening with the family time. That was the most important time. American family oftentimes doesn't take time to be with each other anymore, right? They're running around, they're doing things, they're not necessarily eating meals together. I remember by the time I got to high school that our schedules were so scattered that we n almost never ate a meal together. And so when I got married and when we had kids, I vowed I am going to be home every night for dinner. And we're going to have family meals together. It was really great when we were uh, moving Tyler into his on-campus apartment, his second year of college, 
Um, as you walk in, there's the kitchen and then the living area, and then to the right, there's a couple bedrooms and a bathroom, and to the left, there was a couple bedrooms and a bathroom. And all of his roommates were, came from Christian families, really strong families, and one of the boys said, where's the dining room where we can eat meals together? <laughs> and you could tell that he came from a family that actually ate meals together. That that was an important time, a time of fellowship, a time of talking with each other, a time of building relationship and deepening relationships. And we have lost that in our families, and we have lost that in our friendships. As I said before, it's important we say, hey, let's go out to dinner together, and let's just sit and enjoy each other's company and get to know each other on a very personal, relational way. We have lost that so much in our society. John Drescher says this, Now is the time to love. Tomorrow the baby won't be rocked. The toddler won't be asking why. The schoolboy won't need help with his lesson, nor will he bring his school friends home for some fun. Tomorrow the teenager will have made his major decision. Love today. Love today. What are the relationships in your life that you're not spending enough time nurturing? Love today. Don't think tomorrow I'll do it, because tomorrow you get busy, and then the next day you get busy. Love today. Make a commitment to yourself, even this week, to say, there's a person that is important in my life, and I haven't seen him for a week or two weeks or a month, and say, I'm going to get together. In the next week or two, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to get together with this person or this group of people or these people. Who do you need to nurture relationship with? Be intentional about setting times to be with people in relational time. So important. Proverbs 22.6 says, and read with me, Start children off the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. The teaching that we need to give our children. Deuteronomy 6.7, talking about the law, the commandments. Impress them on your children. Talk about then when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, the teaching that we have of our children. And then when they get older or when you get older, you know what? When you're meeting with people, you should be, you know, like how they say iron sharpens iron, right? We should be sharpening one another. Part of that relational time is, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? You know, how can I pray for you? How can I support you? How can I encourage you? We should be really building one another up when we're with people. That's Remember we talked last week about that's how our stress is relieved when we know that there's other people in our lives that are there for us, that are walking with us, that can carry our burdens with us. That's important that we are teaching one another, that we're challenging one another. So important for us to be nurturing those relationships. Well, last, there's one last imbalance I want to talk about this morning, and that is sleep. King Solomon says... The sleep of a laborer is sweet. The sleep of a laborer is sweet. If you've ever done like really physical labor, like I told you about how when I was in high school, you know, I used to go and I worked with my dad on the boats and I'd sand for eight hours a day. Believe me, by the time night came, I was ready for sleep. When you have a hard day of work and you labor hard, you are tired. And you sleep much better when you have worked hard. When you're lazy and you're laying around the house and taking naps all day or whatever, and it comes time at night to sleep, you don't sleep so well, right? 
so that we have that balance of, yes, it's good to work. It's good to work hard. And then that prepares you for sleep at night. Psychologist uh, Archibald Hart came upon this conclusion at the end of the 20, 20th century. He says this, about half of all adult Americans cannot fall asleep at night. 49% of American adults suffer some form of sleep-related problems such as insomnia. One in six American adults suffer from chronic insomnia. The truth is we can't solve this sleep problem by buying a new mattress or getting that goose-down-filled pillow, right? We can't solve our sleep problem by buying something new. It is a deeper problem that must be dealt with. It's an imbalance that is happening in our lives. You might ask yourself the question, oh, that's about, that was for sleep disorder. Why is our sleep negatively affected when we miss the relational portion of our day? So remember what I talked about. So we work and we work so much and oftentimes our, our work and our chores and everything with our kids and stuff push so far into the rest of the day. So you have that time between when the work is done and when you're supposed to sleep, that's supposed to be relational time. And when we don't have that relational portion of our day, it affects our sleep at night. And so the question is, why does it affect our sleep? It's because that God has created this divine clock in us, set at creation. He has established our bodies in such a way that when the sun comes up, our bodies are stimulated to work. Okay, this is how we are created. So we're going to talk a little science here for a moment, okay? And this is going to help us with understanding sleep. And then when the sun goes down, our bodies seek to transition out of the pressures of the day, pressures that are also often helpful because they're designed to, to tire us out a little bit. And then um, help us to prepare for the replenishing sleep that we're supposed to have at night. Now, how we use this time between work and sleep is vitally important, and oftentimes it is imbalanced, and we don't use it the way God has designed for us. Going back to Archibald Hart, he says that the center of our brain contains a clock that is called the pineal gland. Okay? And this gland accurately controls the rhythm in our brain. So track with me here. This brain clock, uh, this brain clock is the storehouse of something called serotonin. Okay? And serotonin is a God-given chemical that is released with precision to make sure that our body feels content and joy during the waking hours, okay? So we get this serotonin released into our system, and it helps us to feel enjoyment in the day as we're working and as we're doing the things that we have been prepared to do for the day. Now, a certain time in the day, that serotonin turns into melatonin. It's really interesting how God has created us in this way. It's really unique. And so precise. And this melatonin sets us up for sleeping. At approximately 6 p.m., sometime later in the day, the melatonin is released, and it's like God's natural tranquilizer. And it starts to slowly work on our system so that as the, the evening goes on and we slow down and we have that relational time and we enjoy, you know, kind of relaxing a little bit, and then we get to that point to where that natural tranquilizer, the melatonin, begins to take effect, and we're ready for sleep. And then we go to sleep, and we sleep well, and we get up. And then when we wake up, 
that melatonin is converted back into serotonin to prepare us again for that day of work and enjoyment. See how that works? See, the problem, though, is that when we violate this brain clock cycle, it will cease to produce the required melatonin, and then when we do actually go to sleep, we're not ready for sleep. Have you ever done that? Like you're, you're, it's a, I don't know, maybe 9, 10 o'clock at night, and you're kind of falling asleep, and you're like, oh, but there's so much more I have to do, and so you get up and you do stuff, and then about 11.30 or 12, you go to sleep, and then you're like, oh, man, I can't sleep. Why? Because we push right past that time when God says, time for sleep. And we go and go and go and push and push and push, and we mess up this cycle that God has designed in our bodies, and then ultimately we face these sleep disorders that so many... I mean, did you hear that statistic? 50% of people in America suffer some kind of sleep problem. And again, it's not buying a new mattress. It's not buying a new pillow. It's about the, the imbalance that we have in our life with work, relationship, which prepares us for our sleep. The sleep that is needed, the sleep that God has designed for us, the serotonin turning into melatonin, the melatonin then, after we have a good night's sleep, turning back into serotonin, preparing us for the day and getting us ready to live the way God wants us to live. Many years ago, Sir Francis Bacon said this, he that will not apply new remedies must expect new evils. We must understand that we cannot isolate one part of our life from the other part of our life. They will impact each other. They do impact each other, and they will mess with each other, and they will cause new problems in our life. I mean, the sleep disorders that we're dealing with, people didn't deal with 100 years ago. We will deal with new evils. And so we remember Mark 2.27, read the yellow with me. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Meaning that God gave us the Sabbath because he knew that it was something we were going to need. We were going to need that time of rest. We couldn't just be working, working, working. We're not just to have tranquility on one day of the week. We have six days of work and we have that day of rest. But also, in each day, we are to have a portion of tranquility, a portion of rest. Each day, so it's not just about the Sabbath rest, but it's also because there's a rest that needs to happen each day for us to help us stay healthy and happy and living the way God wants us to live, motivated to live the life that God has given us. God wants us to have this rhythm in life that keeps us happy and productive. And when this rhythm is ignored, maybe 12 hours of work, and maybe four hours of relationship time and then eight hours of sleep. Or you, know, you need to figure out what's your sleep. Some people only need seven, some eight, some maybe nine. But you figure out that balance. What is that balance? What is the rhythm? What is the cycle you need to have for your life? You need to figure out for that, and then you need to design your schedule. You now balance your schedule and say, this is what's right for me. Now, can you do that perfectly every day? No. Sorry, I can't get together with you. It's my sleep time, and my cycle is, you know, it's gone, man. And I can't, I can't do anything with you because right now my clock says I'm supposed to go have relationship time with my family. So my schedule says I can't be with you. Right? It's not a law thing. It's not that you, you, know, you treat it as a law. It's supposed to be something that overall in your life, am I balanced? Am I living the right and good way? 
The American way of life is choking connectivity to others, and because of that, we have imbalance and we have issues and problems which have come into our life. So if you were to look at your life, if you were to evaluate your life, are you imbalanced in any way? As you think about your work, do you work hard for a good amount of time and then you stop and then you say, now it's time for the other parts of my life? Or are you imbalanced in that? Relationships, how are you doing relationships? Are you have, do you have good and deep relationships? And are you spending that time with these important people in your life on a regular basis? Do you have that three or four hours every day where it's time with your family or time with friends? Is there a relationship time going on in your life? And are you building these deeper relationships? And how about your sleep? Do you have sleep issues? Are you struggling with your sleep? Maybe it's because of this imbalance. And maybe as you start to get things more balanced in your life, then you will see that your sleep happens better. And maybe you say, you know, like me, I push through, and sometimes I stay to 12, 12.30. Maybe, maybe if I'm falling asleep at 10, that night I need to go to bed at 10, right? Maybe I need to listen to my body a little bit more and say, I need to follow this cycle that God has for me, and then I will sleep better. Now, don't see this as something that frustrates you or distresses you or something that you say, okay, I'm going to make this a law in my life, okay? Now, it's not what I'm trying to say, okay? Let me just end with this. These are guidelines to say God has designed us to live in a certain way. Let it be an important challenge and reminder to you as you evaluate your life and you begin to say, how can I be more balanced? And if I live in a more balanced way, the way God created me to live better, not the way society has pushed me to live or said this is the norm, as I live the way God created me to live, man, this is a good challenge. Maybe you can even find someone in your life, an accountability partner, to say, you know, I'm imbalanced in this way, and I want you to keep me accountable. Can you just, you know, each, we're going to meet each week or every other week, and when we meet, will you just ask me about my, my, my balance in my life? Will you, will you do that for me? So that you have some kind of accountability, someone keeping you accountable in a loving way to say, are you doing okay? How is your sleep going? Are you still having problems? Because if we can balance ourselves in this way, I guarantee you, if your work and your relationships with sleep are more balanced, you will be living the way God created you to live, and your life will be more meaningful and more joyful, and you will enjoy your work more, actually, because there's a limited time when you do work. Let's pray.